Hey, Patrick Campbell. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Good to talk to you. We haven't caught up in a while. It has been a while, and I was telling you before I clicked the big red button that I will introduce you, but I also know that <laughs> there's no way that the 500 and so folks that listen to this podcast don't know who you are, but still, as a public service and service to you, Patrick Campbell is the founder and CEO of ProfitWell, and they are a business that is at the forefront of understanding subscription metrics and analytics, and they help companies get everything from their pricing rights to their value propositions, etc. And yeah, Patrick, thanks for coming on the show and feel free to add to that. I know you guys have actually um, had a lot of growth recently. Yeah, it's been it's been a good ride, a hard ride, but I think that's that's where how it is for everybody. Um, but yeah, it's been yeah. we're we're kind of and also what's interesting and we might get talking about this is we've kind of evolved not only who we target, but also how we position ourselves. And we've always been pretty terrible at positioning, I think, um, <laughs> at least in, in aggregate. We we're kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's more like, oh, they do good content. Not really sure what they do, but you should talk to them about mm-hmm. this, right? And that's kind of was our early funnel. And now yeah. we're, we're going deeper and deeper into this, this whole world of what's called revenue operations, which is, um, depending on who you ask, basically defined as, you know, kind of the the combining of sales, marketing, and customer success operations, and you know, analytics and metrics of it, and then in addition to that, tools that kind of automate different areas of growth within that. So that's 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 the latest where we're headed uh, towards the end of the year here and next year. Awesome. And when when did you guys start? When did ProfitWell come into being? And it was Price Intelligently, right? Yeah. So we we started as Price Intelligent. Well, so when I say we, it was basically just me. Um, in 2012, um, our official, like, you know, that, you know, that fun feeling. Um, so, yeah. and it was a uh, June 15th, 2012. Um, that was the, the first day I was in our little office. Um, and I had a couple of part-time kind of co-founders, but more advisors. Um, they weren't really putting, you know, code to screen or anything like that as much as, as, as I think I wanted them to, but that's a whole fun rabbit hole of, setting expectations mm-hmm. and things like that with founders and our co-founders. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, just me in a room 16 hours a day. And then a couple of years after that, wow. uh, we, um, um, I brought on Peter about nine months after that, I should say. And then I think within 18 to 24 months, Facundo, who's our CPO now as well, um, came on and that's when we started building out, um, the MVP of ProfitWell essentially it was kind of within that second year of the business. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And, and you started out as what was the initial H1? I was actually trying with the internet wayback machine to bring this up and I might succeed while we talk, but what was the initial H1 of, um, price intelligently or was it, it cause that, that was the name at first, right? Yeah. So the, the original idea was I had done a little bit of pricing work at the, so worked in us intel then google so these really large um, tech organizations essentially and then mm-hmm. did a little stint at a startup that was kind of is a d2c company direct to consumer that did um customizable jewelry so kind of like blue nile if you if you've heard of them and yeah. um i worked on pricing there that was a project they gave it to you know i think i was making nothing i was making maybe <laughs> half if not less than half of what i was making at google which was yeah. a weird move um put this and, guy's brain um, to work on pricing <laughs> Well, yeah, but it was one of those things that was kind of like this weird realization because I didn't really love the culture there. Um, and there was this weird realization of they're putting this like, you know, analyst that doesn't make a lot of money on a pretty important thing that we discovered makes like big revenue changes when you adjust things. And all hmm. of a sudden I was like, oh, there's there's something here. You know, we spend all this time on yeah. building things. And then when it goes to ascribing value to what we built, um, we, we basically... Uh, you know, just throw a finger in the air and throw something out there. And my part-time co-founders, they were, you know, product folks. Um, one of them still on the board, really good friend of mine, um, basically a brother. That's how I would consider him is Christopher mm. O'Donnell. He leads, he leads product at HubSpot. Um, and so he was, it was the same thing. It was like very much, we were all thinking about this very similar time frame, And I was the one who was ready to jump out and didn't have hmm. uh, vested interests and, in, you know, HubSpot's IPO and these types of things. So it made sense for me to put yeah. the time in. But our first H1 was basically, I, I can't remember exactly, but it's probably something, I think we, we've, we've really tapped into this whole like guessing thing. So right now it's face it, you guessed on the price intelligently um, sub site. 
And it was probably something along those lines. Um, you know, we take yeah. the guessing out of pricing, that type of thing. Yeah, it was one of those things where you're like, how can this be? <laughs> like, yeah. how can this be that I'm, I'm here at this company and this is um, so high leverage? It's changing numbers. And in theory, you can do that easily. Um, but getting them you right think. is... <laughs> yeah, you, you think. But getting them right is a, is a should be more science and is too often too much art. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. And, and just obviously to fast forward a lot... Um, you made it to here <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, things are working and you've reached a certain scale that I think a lot of uh, people aspire to. Um, and it's taken a lot to get here. And what I'm, what I'm hoping to do with this is, you know, there's a lot of shows that talk about, um, to get people like you on online and uh, are on the air and want to talk about numbers and, and all those things. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you're pretty open with some of the numbers I've seen you share at conferences and talks, um, which are great. But I think what, I'm always wishing folks would do is kind of go a level beyond the numbers, which are the outputs mm. of the business and really understand like what's the engine that's running, that's putting out this growth or these numbers and help folks maybe get just a look behind the curtain of profit well and understand um, things like team composition and acquisition channels and uh, yeah. And like what's working and, you know, to the extent we can fit it in, what, what didn't work and um, what you learned from it. So yeah, I'd love to cross-examine you for a while about uh, the profit well business model. Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump in. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so you uh, you already hinted at it a little bit there. And I think this is something I wonder about. Um, I wonder about this a lot. And I know I go on LinkedIn and I try to look at the, uh, tell me what positions are at this company. Like who works there and what's the composition of the team? So I'm I'm curious about ProfitWell. Like if you look, what, what's your, and headcount is not a bragging right. <laughs> At least I don't think it should be. Yeah. But roughly what's your headcount these days? Just to give folks a feel. Yeah, so we're about 70. And um, okay. we, the composition, it, it's kind of shifted a little bit. So if I, without going too too off the the question here we uh mm-hmm. so we we started off with this pure software product for pricing um very quickly we realized that um what we needed to do is shift towards something called tech enabled service um so the nature mm-hmm. of something with pricing is that um if you go too far into science um there's not a huge market for it because uh there are some art pieces to it and people want confidence there's a huge confidence gap when it comes to mm. pricing. And so they want a human being that doesn't have to sit there four or five days a week, but needs to sit there, you know, and deliver and answer questions and all these other things in addition to like the science and the data. So that has a little bit of a heavier human component, but what a lot of people have a misconception around with tech enabled services or productized services, depending on how you define it, is that the margins are actually better if not, you know, the same as software margins. So the gross margin on that mm. business is somewhere around 82%. Um, wow. And um, it took a little bit to get there. And that comes from really good pricing, really good targeting, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But when you add a human, normally the lifetime value can actually go up because the expectations are very different than if I was just selling you know, a software product, even if this, it's the same result at the end of it. Um, I can charge right. more when there's the appearance, if not an actual human involved. Um, and yeah. then, um, so then we didn't have like any engineering or like very part-time engineering with that product. I was the one you know, doing a lot of that, which I should not be the one doing that <laughs> to be clear. Okay. Uh, more so, the so the team was, any in- yeah. Ahead, so the sir. team was really, really small, uh, to start, obviously it was you. <laughs> and then yeah. you talked about the initial, uh, few folks, but they weren't, they weren't software engineers building a SaaS product to start. Is that what you're yeah, basically, saying or misunderstanding? Yeah. Yeah, essentially. So the team got up to about probably six to eight, uh, five to eight, maybe, um, you know, and that included someone to like write um, someone like so for content. That's when that started really early on, because, you know, again, pricing is in this little, you know, fun little area where it's like very much. Um, how do I put it? It's like you if, if when I publish something on pricing, all the hardcore pricing people like the PhD pricing people's roll their eyes. Cause they're like, uh, Oh, this is yep. like stuff from 1987, blah, blah, blah. But then when I publish it, all the like yeah. founders are like, Holy cow, this is amazing. Right. So we mm. really went into content early 
And then we didn't really have a full-time engineer until Facundo came on and his initial step was not to work on price intelligently. It was to work on this metrics product, um, ProfitWell, um, which we mm. kind of came out of doing customer development and realizing um, if we want to continue our march for margin and also our march for, you know, kind of a, a wider vision for the product, we needed more data. And we had this whole vision mm. of kind of going after the entire funnel, but we realized that if we didn't have revenue data, it wouldn't matter. Um, you know, and so that's where we wanted to start with revenue. And while this was happening, we had a, you know, a, a, a big team we were working on pre-IPO who, or they were pre-IPO and basically they were calculating MRR and churn incorrectly. So we started putting two to two together and we're like, Hey, we're geniuses. Mm -hmm. This is going to be amazing. And then, um, you know, of course the space had 30 some people in it. And so it, it, it yeah. really blew up really quickly, but to get back right. to your question, um, then, you know, started building and then we kind of kept these two products somewhat separate. So we would take the profit essentially from uh, price intelligently and we basically would just dump it into building, um, you know, the, the pure software metrics product. And then yeah. over time, you know, it's kind of evolved and, and, you know, really 24 months ago, we started kind of like merging the brands and changing our name. So it's price intelligent right. by ProfitWell instead of, you know, the separate thing. And, and we, we still haven't done an amazing job, but we need to change our price intelligence site to more of a microsite feel that feeds over to ProfitWell. Mm. And there's still a bunch of stuff there. But right now, um, of the 70 folks, um, we have 15 engineers in Rosario, uh, Argentina. So we have an office there. Okay. Um, and that's where our essentially our CTO is as well. Um, we have another 10, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, um, engineers in Boston. Um, hmm. I can't be right because I think it's it's got to be, maybe it's 20 in, in Rosario and 15 yeah, yeah. in uh, Boston because I think it, half the team is product engineering design. Um, I think it's a little okay. over half. Um, and then the hmm. rest are part of the pricing team. Um, so we actually have humans. Um, we have a, we can get deep into how you do a tech enabled service and how you set up pods um, if you would like. And then there's marketing. Mm. Our marketing team is actually pretty small. Um, it's I think five people max. Um, and then um, we, well, I know that's well not small machine. to some folks. Yeah, but it is, yeah. a, it is a well-oiled machine. And then there's, yep. you know, ops people and a bunch of other fun stuff. So yeah, it's kind of the, okay. the loose. I feel like I'm being offensive because I remember tweeting or someone tweeted, I think it was DH, DHH. He was like, if you don't know your head count, it's offensive. You should know. Like, I'm like, I know everyone's names and I know yeah, who I know they exactly. are. I just, I don't You're, exactly know the numbers. So yeah. Definitely say hi, carry on a conversation. You just haven't numbered them all, which is yeah, maybe actually like a better sign. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, um, but just to be clear in uh, Rosario, I'm pronouncing that correctly in Argentina, that's yeah. a, that's a proper office, not an outsourced agency or something. Cause just making sure, like when you think about international dev, a lot of folks in the totally. indie community think about outsourced teams or folks, whatever. But that's a that's a profitable office because your CTO uh, lives there. Yeah, so we it, it kind of came about, um, and so this is something a lot of indie folks obviously deal with, which is like you're competing. Y yes, there are other people who would never, you know, never want to work at a HubSpot, right, a larger company, right? Mm. Well, we ran into yeah, but even though they don't like they wouldn't want to work here. There's plenty of people that like would work at either, or they like the idea of a startup, but they like the, you know, hundred percent higher pay for a non-startup. Like, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. what we ran into was basically, Hey, let's, uh, take, um, a chance. And Facundo, he's been in Boston now for about 20 years, but he is from Rosario and Rafa, who mm. is, is essentially our CTO now, he basically um, was a friend or a friend of a friend. And we were like, well, let's experiment with, um, you know, hiring down there. Um, you know, we have this connection and Rafa is, is you know, he's a, a senior, senior person. And that's kind of what I've heard is the best thing to do is start with someone senior. And then he started recruiting a few folks. And now we have a, a recruiter at the local university who runs the CS department, who basically feeds us people, which is great. Uh, but yeah, that's mm. a proper office. We we have okay. a we have a very clear cool. like uh, you know I can't remember the phrase we use. It's it's very much like you know no no second class citizens. Like everyone is a yeah. And I think from a legal perspective, there's probably 
you know, some technicalities there. Um, but it's there, we treat them as full-time employees. They have stock, all that kind of fun stuff. Staying on the geographic side, you're in Utah now, correct? Yeah. New office here. Yeah. Okay. And what, what part of the team is there with you or is it functionally split? Uh, so we, so we basically unified, uh, engineering and product and design between Rosario and Boston, uh, which is essentially the same time zone. Um, it's, it's a little ahead in Rosario, but they, they also work, they wake up later and work later. So basically functionally, you know, or it it practically is the same time zone. Um, Utah came about because um, I was doing basically day trips at least a couple times a month from Boston to San Francisco or the West Coast. And so you'd go mm. out on the 5 a.m., come back on the red eye. And it was it was not yeah. fun, um, as you can imagine. And we have, um, for our customer base, about it's fluctuated a little bit, but about 30 35% is outside the U.S., and a lot of that's in Europe. Um, and then of the remaining 65, 70%, um, about half, a little over half of that is West Coast, um, and then the rest is East. So we wanted a hub out here and basically didn't want to go to San Francisco because of the prices and insanity and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, Utah or Salt Lake City is basically two hours um, from every West Coast hub. Um, yeah. Yeah, from a flight nice. perspective. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and no more flights. So I've been I've been living the Western lifestyle here for the past, <laughs> yeah. uh, the past nine months, essentially, without without travel. The, v- the views aren't killing you. <laughs> oh, it's amazing out here. That's wonderful. Uh, so does uh, so about half the team has some product or engineering orientation. Um, it sounds like out of seventy ish, 30, 30 plus or minus on on that side. And then you mentioned um, tech enabled services is part, um, and then marketing, and, and and then I assume some kind of ops and just general kind of general administration type of of folks. Yeah. So we we try to keep it. Um... So we, we technically have three ops people. Uh, one is a recruiter, um, and she takes on a good num- good amount of the people ops work as well. And then we also mm-hmm. have, um, I have, uh, we, it's kind of a catch-all title, a chief of staff, essentially. Yeah. Um, she, she is, I guess the best way to describe it is it, it's a lot of special projects. So her OKRs, they basically shift from quarter to quarter, and there's some things that she just owns. Um, and some of those things are either, um, you know, office stuff sometimes like, you know, who's going to call the plumber, these types of things. Um, but then a lot of it's like, she's running, she runs our outsourcing, um, initiatives. Uh, so we do a lot with VAs. Um, she runs, um, she ran a positioning exercise for us. So she does a lot of stuff. Um, and, um, Mm. you know, and then we have a, um, a finance guy, um, and everyone does more than what I just described, but that's, that's sure their target. And then, uh, yeah, we have, we have a growing sales team and sales effort. Um, but the, the sales and marketing folks are split between Salt Lake city and, um, Boston. So that's kind of how we have that structured is that, you know, that'll be the split there. And then it'll be a split between, you know, obviously Rosario and Boston for product engineering design. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, talk to me about sales. (laughs) This is one where I think given the fact that you have the free product, yeah, um, I'm assuming that factors into it, but rather than start with acquisition channels, maybe start with, yeah, sales, you know, what, what kind of sales are we talking about? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, what's the range of, of, uh, if you use Christoph, uh, Jance's kind of metaphor of the, uh, animals, <laughs> um, everything yeah. from the whales to the rabbits to the deer. Um, but totally. you know, what kind of, kind of de- deals are we talking about? And then, yeah, where do those different ones come from so that it's, um, yeah, so you can kind of balance that cost of acquiring a customer with the amount of effort and yeah, uh, ultimately pricing. Yeah. So we we set this up in a way that I think we would have done. We're, we're kind of moving towards where we should be, but I think that we set it up in a way that wasn't targeted enough. Kind of classic fun startup mistakes. Um, oh, yeah. So we to, to kind of answer you directly. Um, we now, we, we have a very large base on ProfitWell. So we have about 20,000 companies, just over 20,000 now. And those range from Johnny and Jane startups, you know, doing a thousand bucks a month, you know, or up to 10 grand or, you know, we, mm-hmm. 
depends on how you want to define it. And then we have Fortune 50 companies using ProfitWell as well. And the way that these these two groups, if I was just going to bifurcate them into two groups, use ProfitWell is very, very different. Um, the large companies, they really like the accuracy, the data, and they want to get that data into wherever they need it. And they use, you know, they export mm. cheats. They do a bunch of different things. Like they're not in ProfitWell as much. Um, and then the other group, probably sub, you know, 50 million in revenue a year, which obviously like some of those are beyond startup, I would argue, um, obviously, sure. but um, <laughs> they're using it for like their reporting. Like it's their like foundation um, and they still want to get the data out depending on what they're doing. But what we kind of did over time is we, we set up our pricing models for all of our products that they scale um, using a, what's called a value metric, depending on the size. So we might charge for retain, let's say, um, you know, a, a small Johnny Jane company, they might be a hundred bucks a month, 50 bucks a month, depending on how much recovery we have um, for that churn product. Whereas, you know, ClassPass or, you know, some of these really large companies using ProfitWell, like the pricing is going to be very, very different. And so, right. um, and much, much larger. So we're talking, you know, 10 grand a month, 15 grand a month, you know, five grand a month on the low end. So like starting to get after these, these larger customers. And so I think what we ended up doing with our sales team is we were, it's kind of like classic, um, with a lot of companies is you just kind of take, take whatever you can get, right? Like who's coming in, who's coming in, mm-hmm. who can reach out to, who's going to someone catch this. It's a lead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like someone take care of it. And I was, I was like the first sales guy, essentially. Of course. Uh, we had, you know, Peter who was taking like, we've kind of built this in a very classic way where, you know, I take it on, I get it to 80%, I hand it off, someone else takes it to a hundred percent. And then I move on to the next thing that's at zero and bring it up to 80 and so on and so forth. Um, mm. And then obviously in certain cases like Facundo bringing him on, you know, our product was no, nowhere near 80%. And so he, he took it from zero yeah. to, to wherever, but um, in the sales part, just to kind of continue the answer to your question, what we ended up doing is we just started putting targets out there. So not targets in terms of quota, but just targets on like, who should we actually go after? And this comes down to the the Christoph kind of metaphor. Um, you know, we, we did, you know, use the animal metaphor internally, but basically the same concept, which is sure. okay, how do we be a, you know, a billion dollar company? Cause even though we're the, you know, only non-funded, you know, company in our space and, I have like imposter syndrome with being indie because, you know, we've, we've grown <laughs> past the like, you know, I don't want to say lifestyle because that's offensive to some folks, but you know what I mean? Like we, we want to be a yeah. big company, which. But you've heard it here, folks, everyone, even, even Patrick feels this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. But like, it's, it's one of those things where um, we were like, well, to be a billion dollar company, you know, well, well first let's get to a hundred million. How do we get to a hundred million within a reasonable amount of time? Right. Well, we, we can't go after 50 bucks a month in our space because there's not a lot of subscription companies out there. Um, mm. Max, if you include SaaS, D2C, subscription e-commerce, media, like if you include all subscriptions, it might be 150,000 and that's like right. a really generous estimate. So you just mm. don't have the logo TAM to sustain it. So you have to go after bigger, bigger companies. And we also mm. noticed that we, we would have very, very good lifetime value in our price intelligently product. But if you're a Johnny or Jane startup, let's say three to 10 million in revenue a year, um, you would buy from us for one year. And you'd have a great experience. Your NPS would be great, but then you'd want to like wait to continue buying that product. And and then the you know the Fortune 50 companies we work with, they were like, we just can't sell them enough, right? So we started pivoting a bit to, hey, we'll take anyone inbound, and that's where kind of like our AEs um, they train essentially, like, and we get on the phone with everybody. We get on the phone with, hey, mm-hmm. we know this person if. Max, it's going to pay us 50 bucks a month. Um, and it's good mm-hmm. training and maybe that'll end at some time, but we really, really value that connection with our users, even if they're not paying us. And yeah. then, you know, we, we did all of our like actual targeting to larger companies, right? So, um, over this year, even with COVID, we've been very like, no, 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 up market, up market, up market. And an up market isn't quite, you know, targeting the fortune 50, but up market is like, Hey, we don't want to get excited if they're not making over a certain amount. You know, and we're excited, right. don't get us wrong, but like, we don't want to like incentivize or go after, um, yeah. a certain, unless we care about a certain size. So, um, or unless they're over a certain size. So that's been kind of the, the target for us at least is, is, is kind of up marketing our team, which has been a fun experience. Yeah. So, yeah. So sales, are they working all one pipeline? Um, how do you segment kind of the inbound leads? Do you have, uh, yeah. 
different salespeople that work different potentially sized prospects or how does that sorting function work? Yeah, totally. It's a good question. So we, we split, so we have this BDR team and we call them specialists because I hate traditional BDR teams. Um, I think BDR teams, the, the notion of, Hey, especially given our space of, you know, send a hundred emails and let's see what happens. I think that it's super, super misguided because, um, especially with a low logo TAM, um, you our our whole shtick is we at the very least have to give you a good experience, even if we're not a fit and even if you never pay us anything. And to do that, yeah, the is, bar is that is that because you can't really afford to you can't afford to burn a person, the person behind the exactly. logo because it's just too small, right? Exactly. So or at least that's mm. the feeling, right? Now momentum sure may beg to differ with that, but it, I think it's a good first principle to mm-hmm. start from, yeah, which I agree. is like, Hey, even if like, we only have so many at bats. So a lot of sales is timing, especially for the products we produce. We're not selling something where there's a super competitive market. Like we have, mm-hmm. you know, our competitors make it seem like it's competitive on Twitter and stuff, but that's not actually the case. <laughs> like it's not like a yeah. CRM or marketing automation where we're going to compare four and then pick one. It's, it's very like, Oh crap, I have this problem. Who hmm. who are those people who reached out to us six months ago? Oh, we should start with them, right? Yeah. And so Interesting what we journey. kind of focused on was we have only so many at bats, we can't burn leads. And and so you have to have a good experience. And so our specialists, we split into three groups. Um, there's inbound, outbound, and then strategic. And um inbound is traditionally inbound, like people coming to us, raising their hands, um, they're on ProfitWell and they've shown some sort of indication that we should reach out to them. Um, outbound is exactly kind of how it sounds. Um, you know, we put together lists of targets and we have really, you know, targeted kind of outreach that we do. Um, and we do heavy personalization. Um, people have shared this on social, so I feel good sharing it. Like we do lead level videos. Um, so not just hmm company level, but lead level. So Mimi actually being like, oh, hey, Matt, Patrick, you're from ProfWell. Hope everything's going well with Summit. You know, like we'll wow. actually do a lead level video. And then um, we have strategic, which is um, kind of like traditional ABM, which is, you know, we have someone who's who's kind of a very strategic thinker going after maybe 50 target accounts, maybe 100 in a quarter. Um, and then he or she is, is focused on how do I get... Um, you know, as many of them on the phone as possible, but you know, if five of those close, it's an insane quarter. Um, and so yeah, that's, so, that's so kind of the, the target. Just unpack some acronyms for folks. Uh, oh, BDR sure. is business development rep, um, sometimes called a SDR sales or even LDR lead development rep, which can have different meanings and different words, um, uh, on them depending on the company. But, uh, traditionally these roles are, well, they have been at least uh, in yesteryear hunters. So that it's like their job to go out there and find things and then bring them uh, to account executives, AEs, who then close the deal. Um, basically, it goes from a lead to an opportunity. But what you're saying is um, specialists, first of all. But then second, there are these groups. And inbound is definitely not hunting. That is essentially uh, accepting inbound interest. Um, and then even on the outbound side, I was wondering how much product qualification is going on um of these leads is 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 ProfitWell the free analytics product we know is that feeding into this yeah so basically so inbound i think that there's still a it, it, i think of it more as like there's there's still a hunting element it's not like you're hunting a net new cold lead and and i i think there's there's a spectrum here and a lot of people misunderstand sales right because you get crappy sales emails all the time and i think that Yep. What it took my realization was, okay, there's a spectrum here. And on one end of the spectrum, there is the person who is referred to you, literally filling out a demo form, starting setting their own account up and want to get it finished, like high, high, high intent. And then on the other end, there is um, um, you know, someone who is a good target, who has never heard of you, and maybe doesn't even know that they have this problem that you're trying to solve for, Right. And my goal as a, as a sales leader is to get more and more people on the right side of that spectrum versus the right. left side of the spectrum. Yep. And I think a lot of times what ends up happening, so like our outbound, it doesn't target the left side of the spectrum. And even our strategic, like they don't, 
yes, they might be on the left side of the spectrum, but they're doing a ton of things to move them to the middle, if not the right, before even reaching out via email. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a big thing is like, that took us a realization maybe about a year ago. Um, so I took over the, the the specialist team or this middle of the funnel team um, basically a year mm. ago. And now I've since, mm-hmm. you know, get, handed it off to a, a, someone who knows so much more than I do about this stuff. But <laughs> basically the, the, the thing was you're reaching out cold. Yeah. You're going to get, it's a volume game, but it's also, you know, it's, 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 it's a low, low hit rate or a potentially bad hit rate when it comes to, um, how do I put it? Um, you know, aggravating those leads, right? Um, right, right, right. And, it can be bad. And di- yeah, exactly. Statistics yeah. is one thing. A bad experience is is another. Totally. So how do I take those people on the right side and get as many of them on there and then try to push as many people to the right side? So that's kind of the, that's kind of the focus, or at least that's how we think about it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think that helped a lot because all of a sudden, like our operates went up because you're reaching out to the people where you have some maybe you're not top of mind, but you're at least like not bottom of mind or not of mind at all. So that's, that's kind of how we thought about it. That's yeah, that's great. Um, I can kind of picture these, uh, these channels and, and you mentioned, um, profitable does play a role. And I imagine you obviously have an email address and you get a sense for the scale of the company as soon as somebody signs up and connects their Stripe account or their charge B or whatever. Um, yeah. So th- there's that PQL product qualified lead element to it. Um, totally. I realized I didn't have, even mention that. <laughs> which yeah, no, the original no, part of the question. Sorry. About I was dying to know. Um, so I came back around to it. But I, yeah, curious in terms of the leadership team, um, maybe starting there and then finishing the kind of team composition piece on the sales and marketing side, you are your CEO. Are you also effectively the SVP, VP, and, and director of those areas? Or, or who's kind of reports to you on the revenue side? Yeah, so I um I am I've been mainly out of except for a few tours of duty um I've mainly been out of the sales side. So Peter who we hired at 9 months in, he's been with me, you know, I consider him more of a co-founder than anyone. He um he's been with me for quite some time and he basically takes on all of revenue in terms of sales. Um so okay. he's kind of you know, he, his title isn't, we're not a huge title company yet. And you always have to become that as you get bigger. But right now he, his title's GM because he originally was just over price intelligently when we kind of had the split between price intelligent and prof wall. Cause we didn't want to, we didn't want to mess one up. Right. This is why we had a different website as well. Cause we, we already had trouble people understanding what we did. We didn't want to add another element of that to that when we were, you know, a, a fledgling company. Um, and now he's more of a head of sales. And then, um, this woman named Paige, she came in and she leads up our, our specialist that middle of the funnel. But from a all intents and purposes perspective, I am basically a CMO now as well. Um, so okay. I am CEO and then I run marketing essentially. Um, that's kind of yeah. the structure. And then Facundo with a number of different directors um, basically runs all of product engineering and design. It reminds me of that Fred Wilson post where he said like the three jobs of a CEO. It's like vision, don't yeah. run out of <laughs> um and you know and, and set the goals uh for the team and i'm always like well you have to be a pretty large headcount before the only thing you're doing is what a ceo you know in the movies does <laughs> it's like totally. you are functionally so many roles um until they get filled um so it's interesting yeah you're effectively this the cmo there profit well still i've been meaning to ask on the um just briefly you hinted at it you've got um the software that is really about kind of the value of the customers that are retained, et cetera. What, what are those products again and, and what do they do and how many of them do you have? Yeah, I'm realizing I people still, maybe that was the central question is what the hell do you guys do? I still don't think we've answered <laughs> that, right? So, well, we, we, we start with team and now we're getting into sales and now, now what do people sell people? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So here's, here's, here's the best way. And this is the, not the historical way of how we got here, but this is where we are now. It's so we build basically um, subscription revenue automation tools. And I realize that that's, you know, also very fluffy. So we have this core product, um, it's profitable metrics, um, plug in your billing system, Stripe, Braintree, Zora, Recharge, Recur, whatever you're using. And if not, if you're not using those, you can use our API um, or Google Sheets, whole host of ways to get your data in. 
Um, but we give you free access to all of your financial metrics, MRR churn cohorts, anything you can think of. Um, rich segmentation. We enrich all your data with Clearbit and full contact. And this is all the free product. Then how we make money is we have a couple of different products. Um, one is called Retain. Um, we go after delinquent churn, so credit card failures. Um, and now we are basically in beta with our active churn product as well. So we basically go after not only delinquent churn, but also we're calling it the mechanical parts of active churn. Um, so term optimization, uh, salvage offers, these types of things so that, you know, yes, you have to still focus on your strategic churn. Hey, I don't have that feature, wrong customer, those types of things. But we can kind of take care of the the 40% of churn that's mechanical. Um and then we have a product that does revenue recognition. So this is, if you're over a million or you've raised funding, uh, revenue recognition is how you typically do your accounting. Um, and so we do that um, completely, you know, in an algorithmic way. Um, and then we give you the spreadsheets, which you can then do whatever you want with them. Um, and then we have price intelligently, which is, you know, kind of the the tech enabled service that, you know, helps with price optimization. So that's, that's kind of the suite that we yeah. have. And, you know, given our TAM that I talked about before, the reason we have these products early on in our cycle isn't because we're just super excited to build more stuff, which we obviously always are. It's more of we yeah. know we need to be multi-product in order to be successful because I need to sell you multiple different products or I need multiple bites at the apple at yeah. a decent lifetime value um, in order to be that $100 million company. Yeah, yeah. Starting with free and then um, and then layering on top um, for the entire journey. I'm curious, how formulaic is the pricing for those um, retain and um, churn products uh, that you mentioned? Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty well thought out, just given that we have you know pricing. Yeah, DNA. I think yeah, yeah. Um, the way we look at it is we want to be as close to value as possible, and so with retain, and this is you know some good advice for people is that if you can charge based on what your pure value is, and it might be you know normally in B two B it's money saved, money earned, um, you know time saved, time earned. Um, if you can charge, if you can calculate that, your customer agrees with it, and you can charge along it, that's how you should charge. Um, most companies you can't. So what you do is you take a step back and you find a proxy. So it might be contacts, visits, size of the company, these types of things. And so with, with retain, what's really fascinating about it with the exception of, um, you know, a service level as well as like security features and these types of things, the actual value of the product scales beautifully with, um, with the size of the company. Uh, so when we get to a very, very large company, someone who does hundreds of millions a year, if not a billion a year um, in revenue, what ends up happening is, is, is yes, we can't charge them maybe the same effective percentage as we would charge Johnny or Jane startup, but it's kind of found money. So they're, they're happy to pay, you know, essentially a good amount of money right. for it um, right, because right. they wouldn't have it. And we, we guarantee ROI in two months. Um, we guarantee those users will stick around for two charges and all kinds of fun stuff. And so um, our other products, we don't have as a purity like we do there. So what's the proxy, right? Mm. Um, so for revenue recognition, it actually doesn't have a really good value metric. Um, it's just one of those types of products. And so we have basically, uh, hey, if you're under this size, it costs this much. If you're over this size, it costs this much. Um, and then Got if it. you want, custom tool or custom reporting, meaning it's not really custom, but if you're like, if you want more than the base level of reporting, so you want a tax report, a geography report, a bunch of other things, we add different elements to it. Um, and so when we work with like a Notion or a Canva, like international companies with customers everywhere, those companies require like different reporting. Um, and then mm -hmm. price intelligently, we actually offer two options. Because um, we often get compared to traditional consultants with that product. Um, and yeah. so we offer a performance option. Um, and then we also offer a, like, it, we don't charge based on time ever. And you never should charge based on time. It's like terrible. Um, but we yeah. offer basically, uh, we have a spreadsheet where we actually calculate based on the size of the company, the scope of what they want in terms of testing data, how hard it is to source the data for that company. Um, and mm. the price will, you know, go up and down depending on that. And then we always offer those two options of performance um, or um, uh, basically, um, you know, for the, just for the straight contract. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to tee this one up for you because I remember you had a tweet 
recently where it said, what, what it was basically, what, what is profit well, or how do we, how do we make money, uh, essentially? And a lot of folks that didn't really understand the nature of your business and, and the revenue, um, and so I, now that I kind of have this mental picture of these different streams, um, the products you're talking about really are SaaS products. It's definitely software. You even use the word term algorithmically. So it's definitely software. It's running. Um, it's not consulting. Uh, and then, of course, you do have that consulting element and the free element. Do you want to comment at all on kind of the ratio or balance of where your revenue or growth is coming from across those different things? I'm, I know. I'm curious. Yeah, I think... Um... Here's what I'll say. We have, we are over 10 million in annual revenue. Um, and I will give you a specific update once we reach a hundred million. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> so we're between 10 and a hundred. Um, we're closer to 10. I'll at least give you yeah, that. Uh, sure. And then multiples, we have multiple products doing over, um, over a million, let's say, with really healthy growth rates. Uh, and so right. actually all of our products are over a million with healthy growth rates. So um, except for the free one, obviously. So that's that's kind of how the breakdown. I think it's, you know, when people say we're consulting, like I can't blame them because I think we've done a terrible job of product marketing. I think that, I don't know how you think about this with your company, but in, in other companies out there that you you know talk to and help with, but I, I look at this in like different eras. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, we we realized very quickly that we needed to kind of like buckle down and do some very very long term things that were not going to pay off for a while in our past you know eight years because we just knew that the mar- like no one built multi product before their ten million like barely after their ten million normally they wait till their hundred million to build multiple we just knew we needed to so we needed to figure out the DNA of how to engineer those multiple products without just creating four engineering teams. How do we, yeah. you know, do the go-to-market without just creating four go-to-market teams, right? And, and I don't think we've solved all of those things. And then now, a big question we're we're figuring this out this year is like, how do we describe ourselves, right? Like, how do we? Because it, it it's funny is if you come in as a retain lead, you actually don't care about our revenue recognition product, like unless for some reason you're a solo founder, which you probably don't need the revrec product then anyways, right? So it's it's just an interesting. Um, it's an interesting puzzle because we, and this is why we're kind of going under this revenue operations umbrella, because that's like a market that's kind of getting formed right now and we can Mm. have some influence on how that's formed. But I think that that's, that's a really interesting thing, which is like, you know, if you think we're consulting, like that's fine. You'll still refer to us with people with pricing. We have Mm -hmm. plenty of people who think the free product is just, you know, Oh, it's just lead gen for their consulting. It's like, no wrong on two accounts, but that's fine. Like it's, (laughs) we haven't done a great job like with product marketing because we are multi-product and we're still trying to figure this out. So we're kind of okay with a little bit of the chaos and that's what's kind of driven our marketing as well, which is we're okay. Like the, the, the best worst answer <laughs> to, to what we do is I'm not really sure, but they have really good content. Like that's the best worst yeah. answer. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, the, the best, best answer is someone who can explain, oh, they, they have a bunch of tools and they're they're trying to automate subscription revenue. And so they collect a lot of this data and then they use this data for a bunch of different products that make you more money and, yeah. you know, save you time. But like, I'm not expecting everyone to be able to do that. And sure. if there are four opinions of what we are out there and all of those opinions refer us different folks, great. Because mm-hmm. when I know when you're on ProfitWell, we've seen this time and time again, organically happen and we're starting to put some power behind it. If I get you on retain or if I get you on metrics, I can then sell you another thing and then another thing. And yep. yeah, it might not all come at once, but you know, all of a sudden I can build that that lifetime value over time. Yeah, they're in your orbit for sure. And I think your totally. your expertise comes through in those products so that I mean, when you're sitting here racking your brain at a company, whatever scale, and you need to know answers that internally you don't have. I mean, you go look for who the experts are in the area and you know, we've all done that where you're like, I know that you don't work on X, but you work on Y, right? And then they're like, actually, I do work on X. <laughs> you just, it's, it's never- literally my favorite email to get. I, I just got one this morning, which was, hey, I know you help us with this, but um, do you know anyone who helps with pricing? And it's like, <laughs> by the way, this is actually well, one of our, pro- and it's, it's just, and that's where I think content is so important. Freemium is so important is yeah. these are some of the 
they are quantifiable, but they're not necessarily the, the, the most quantifiable things, but you, you have that sphere in that kind of, you know, that around this nucleus of your brand and, and I'm okay with that. It's not ideal. It's not the most ideal, but it's like a good second or third place, if that makes sense. No, it, it does. It does. Before we um, run out of time, I wanted to shift gears. You mentioned OKRs. Um, yeah. Now, I don't know if you're just throwing that out as more of a general thing, but how? Do, two questions sort of in terms of how you guys work. Um, how do you set goals and priorities? Um, and if it's OKRs, I'd love to hear you know a few minutes about how that gets implemented there, uh, maybe the cadence and sort of who does what. And then um, secondly, you know, I'd love to know when's the last time you guys did that and kind of what are the bottlenecks that you're trying to solve for right now, um, hmm. if that's fair. Yeah, um, we have been pretty terrible at this until recently. I think it, it, what's funny is with OKRs, is, and these are objective key results. So it's a method of goal setting. Um, I learned it first when I was at Google because it was used wi- widely at Google. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, there's you a book there called, too. yeah, yeah. There's a book there called Measure, or there's a book that, that's called Measure What Matters um, by I think John Doerr, I think. Um, but it's a yeah. good book. And I would recommend just skipping all of the case study chapters and just reading the other half. Uh, the case study <laughs> chapters are fine. It's just they literally just reiterate the thing that, you know, was just written yeah. in the previous chapter. The book um, had length, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but uh, we, so we've always done goal setting. And I think with OKRs, the the biggest output of it is just the process. Um, and I think that I, I'm a big fan of just do what works for you. So in terms of OKRs, sometimes there's some people who who need a checklist. They need like, these are this is the checklist and it's in this priority order of what I'm going to go after. Other people, they need like a North Star metric and then that's their objective. And they're going to do 16 experiments that quarter to try to get to that objective or whatever it ends up being, right? Yeah. Um, and so we, it's kind of funny because last year, so 2018 going into 2019, um, we did more planning than we ever did. And it was one of those things where I think it worked okay, but not that great. And then we did probably a hundred percent more planning at the end of 2019. And this is where it started with uh, Facundo, Peter, and I sat down over a series of a bunch of different uh, meetings uh, mostly like dinners or coffees and these types of things that we decided like, wh- what's the big thing for 2020? Like, where are we going? And normally to answer that question, you have to, to talk about what's in three years or five years, right? Yeah. Reverse engineering. Um, and that's where like, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, what are our big, big objectives? And then for us, it's always been tough because with the multi-product, it's like, do we swarm everyone on one thing at a time? Meaning everyone's going to work on this retained stuff until it's done? Or is it, hey, let's take 30% of our team and do this, 30% this, and 30% do that. And so we've experimented with that a bunch over the past number of years. But this year we settled on like, here are the three or I think it was four objectives at a company level. So these are the things that, you know, Facundo, Peter, and Patrick are going to care about above everything else. And Mm -hmm. then we let everyone else set their objectives. And so it was very much like, this is what needs to happen. And then mm-hmm. a bunch of negotiation with every single like team member. Um, and we, we run a, it, it's, I don't like to say horizontal or vertical because we, we run like it's called decentralized kind of team. So um, everyone has a voice. We one of our principles is be disagreeable, which is a little, you know, against nice. the grain for some folks, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's very much like That's no great. one, no one wins because they have a title at all. No one, there's no top down. And some people have had trouble with this because they're used to very corporate and they come in and they're like, someone needs to tell me what to do. And you have to kind of like re-engineer them a little bit um, into not thinking that way. But mm-hmm. so we went and um, I think it was okay when we did it. And then COVID hit and we kind of threw everything out the window because it became very like scrappy. And then going into Q3, Q4, when everything was kind of okay and we didn't need to you know, go nuts, I would say with COVID, um, we ended up um, kind of rejiggering things, at least on the revenue side, the product side just kind of kept going. We like to try to protect the product side from short-term effects, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah. And with the revenue team, we kind of re rejiggered a little bit based on um, 
just some things we knew we needed to fix. And I think the, the biggest piece of advice is, is like, what is the critical step or what is the critical metric? So for us, it became the number one thing is getting larger accounts um, on the phone for retain and recognized right now. Um, price intelligently, it's really good. We have a really good upmarket funnel. It's great. Um, but the number one thing is we need to re- we need to basically double the volume of re- retain and recognized opportunities um, each quarter. So in Q3 and then also double it in Q4. Um, and it, it wasn't a low number to begin with. So this is like a little bit of a, a crazy goal. Um, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how we organize the entire revenue team. So if you were you know, our events person who's also doing some, going to be doing some really creative launches in the next um, few months, you know, she just re rejiggered her entire goal where at least 75% of her OKRs were tied to that. And then the other 25% were more tied to things that were either two or three degrees from, from that goal. Um, and then the, the big thing, and this is what we did that I think worked really well is go down everyone else's objectives and just score them on, like, you know, zero degrees from the goal, meaning it's like exactly aligned with the goal, um, you Mm. know, two degrees, three degrees, whatever it is. And then just make sure you just do an audit of, hey, we want at least two thirds or more of our objectives for the entire team to be aligned with this. Um, Yeah, that's really good. That helped a lot. Yeah. um, There's a, there's a Muskism where he answered somebody that's uh, saying that like the, how do you put it? Essentially, the productivity of an organization is essentially the combined vectors of all all the people, yeah. right? Which is a super nerdy way to say it, but essentially, everyone's pointed in some direction. And what you just described is a bit of an X-ray on what direction is everyone pointed. And you're basically saying, if everyone's generally pointed east, and that's the direction we're going, we should be good, right? We don't need everyone to be 100% that way. And is that where you? Um, I'm actually kind of connecting two thoughts now, so. So I'll interrupt mm. myself. I wanted to ask, you want to give people autonomy, right? So yeah. did you guys leave that meeting and go to the next level down and essentially say, um, at least this is my understanding of OKRs, these are the goals. Now you tell me how you're going to contribute to those goals. Yeah, it's a bit of a mix. It depends on the seniority as well as um, you know, the structure of certain parts of the org. So we, at the beginning of this year, late last year, we basically said, these, these are the things that need to happen this year um, in order for us to be super successful. And some of them were a little more exploratory because we don't know the details, right? So part mm-hmm. of the year is figuring out the details and the rest of the year might be building the thing, right? And others are very specific. We need to hire this many people and do this and do that. Um, normally what we do is, is, is before Peter Facundo and I have been talking, we've already been soliciting a ton of feedback on like, where does profit will suck? Where are we not moving forward enough? Where What are some of the strengths we're not doubling down on? What are the things that we keep trying to optimize that we're just not going to be good at and we should give up on? Like We're already soliciting a lot of that feedback. And then when we have those four things, before we're like, hey, okay, these are the four things. Go, go forth and figure out how or what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, we then go to those people again and we're like, here's basically the next to final draft. Here's what we're thinking. Do you think we're missing anything? And mm. I think what's really, really important is getting you and that those people, and these are not like just the next rung down. These are people who like they're two years into their career, but they're just awesome, right? They're amazing, sure. right? And so we want their opinion, we want their buy-in and we want to keep them around. And so having them give that feedback and also contribute, I think is super important. But mm. the big thing we do then is um, we make it clear that there's going to be trade-offs. Hey, we're not going to work on this thing this year. We all mm-hmm. talked about it. We all know it's a good idea. We all know it's a really good thing that if we could work on it, but these things are more important. Like convince yeah. me otherwise, like tell me why I'm wrong. Right. These types of things. And then once, and, and normally like those four things are pretty clear because we've kind of already done this legwork and then it's for everyone else to be basically go, okay, here's how I'm going to contribute to this. Here's how my group, because I think that, you need very similar to like your principles, your values of your company. Everyone needs to be homogenized around those and then wildly different on everything else. Hmm. Um, You know, and that's where you get diversity, right? You don't want diversity of like direction. You want diversity of like how you think about things. Right. And so um, 
we need to tell Erin, who leads up experiential marketing and events, what her North Star should be. And then she can figure out like how she's best going to contribute to it. But I don't want to like micromanage her on, hey, um, this is the best webinar series we're going to do because she's she's the one thinking about it every day all the time, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, she's and this better than causes, you like, this causes, <laughs> yeah. She should be, right? Yeah. yeah and even yeah. if she's not, she's still going to think about it all the time, right? Of course. Which I'm not going to think about it all the time. And so yeah. I'm there to coach and I'm there to kind of guide and coax, you know, in certain directions sometimes. But, and I think what we learned is through this process is that, um, y- you know, there's trade-offs. There's trade-offs to this much autonomy that we give people. There's trade-offs to this decentralized culture. But I think it creates... Yeah, I've always been impressed, and I think I was impressed with this before I realized what it was. I've been impressed with teams who are able to keep together people who could all run their own companies or all run their own shops. Mm. And I think the best way to think about it is like Erin, who I just mentioned, she could go run a really great uh, design consultancy or uh, event consultancy, excuse me. Mm-hmm. But she wants to be here because she can work on doper things and also work as part of a team. But the minute I make it difficult for her, the minute I micromanage her, the minute I'm like, you have to go do this this quarter, she's like, I don't want to do this. Like, this doesn't yeah. make sense. Um, a, so this is why it's such a negotiation, if that makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. And I think the what we're not working on explicit list is just a goldmine um, for later when you all need to be accountable to each other and to yourselves of, I thought we said we weren't going to work on this. <laughs> um Totally. Well, and this is why I think um, a lot of things around target, like who do you go after, right? Your personas, your profiles, or your jobs to be done, like whatever, you know, framework you want to use, that's helpful too. Because now I can be like, hey, I know, and and we try to, it's not an either or thing a lot of times. Mm -hmm. It's more of like, so for example, um, we, we try not to build for startups Um, and it's hard. Because a huge portion of the space from a volume perspective, um, from a user volume perspective, are basically early stage startups. And it's not that we 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 don't want to build for them. It's more of like, we don't want to exclusively build for them. And right. if we are, we want to make sure we're kind of like throwing a bone, if that makes sense. And, and we don't position it that way, obviously. But it's like, sure, sure. okay, we know that everyone in this group is going to love this. And they're going to tweet about it or they're going to share it or they're going to do more referrals or these types of things. But normally if we find something that we want to build for them, um, it's also really good for upmarket folks. And then if we're going to build something for upmarket, that's okay because that's kind of who we're targeting more of. Um, Right. And and the thing about it is like startups grow up, right? And so the, the funny thing about building for startups specifically is the company that you built a relationship with that needs that wants the thing if you deliver yeah. the thing when they grow up, if they're successful and they grow up, guess what? They don't actually want that thing anymore. They want, they want to oh. better, they want the way that the upmarket folks wanted it to be. Um, so the strategy makes sense because folks are moving along their own sort of maturity curve and you don't want to sell to them yeah. at a less mature. Well, state. I think that a lot of people, they, I, I think in the early days, the one thing, and I don't think we were like, very conscious or smart enough to be conscious about this, but it worked out thankfully is we got, because like we, we thought we were geniuses. We were just like this metrics, but we're going to charge for it. We were like, this is, everything's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. Mm. Like we're going to be rich. It's going to be great. Like whoever would think of subscription analytics, right? You know what I mean? Like, and it sounds so stupid just in general. Right. But then all of a sudden there were you know, bear metrics, they launched before we did chart mogul. They launched after we did. And then there was like a ton of other company and we were like, mm-hmm. like, so, Oh, sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here, but <laughs> we were like, Oh no. Like turns out like, not only are we not geniuses, but like <laughs> these yeah, people sudden. either have funding or more out there. And so what really helped us, and this is the, the learning point is we really got down to like, what is the root cause or what is like the root of what we should care about? Right. And Mm. that for us turned into accuracy, which was like, if you are a company that's going to pay us a certain amount of money, um, you really, really care about that. And so that was something that we worked on and the small folks didn't care. Like we would get these, you know, they would make me mention something, but we would get like, well, where's this report or that graph or this thing? Yeah. And so it, it, it took a lot of like discipline to 
kind of ignore that and be like, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. And just focus on, you know, the, the one thing that we knew needed to scale with the size of the person who was going to pay us enough to like grow the business. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's not a lot of stability in, I mean, I, I, I love startups too. And, um, company I'm starting now appeals to a lot of them, but there's not a lot of stability in their needs or, or their interests either. And so you have <laughs> interest to be- is no truer words there. Yeah. <laughs> like they're really interested in that widget today. Um, whether or not it's actually the most important thing a month from now is super unlikely. Um, and so that's a, that's a difficult thing to product manage towards. But so I think what you're saying makes, makes a lot of sense, but it is hard to ignore and you can't completely ignore it because going back to your original principles, having a good interaction and a good relationship with those companies is actually what you're trying to do. Um, so there's definitely a, there's a politic about that that is very important. Well, and I think it's also, um, it's like, it's one of these things where I, I think it's more about the North Star than anything, because I think that, and we kind of, maybe this is just going to belabor the point, but I think if you build a great product, so if we think about what is a fortune, you know, 2000 or a or hundred million dollar company, it's not even fortune 2000. Like what, what kind of things do they, they need? Well, they need us to be SOC 2 compliant, which we're going through that fun process right now. They need yeah. us to do these things. Like a startup doesn't care about those things, but they benefit from it. Right. And so I think that that's, mm. that's the joy of the products we build is that whatever we build for more of our monetary target, it's still going to help our users. And as long as we don't get too far from, you know, like some basic principles, like I think startups, they care more about the design of something, whereas bigger companies, they do more so than normal, but not as much as like a startup would. And so sure. it's like, we're not going to make our product look crappy or like intentionally. Right. 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 And, you know, and so that's like one of those things where I think that, um, it's, it's not either, or it's more of like, what are you going towards? Which I think is the really important thing. And I think that's a lesson for most things in business. Um, and you, especially and you guys chose accuracy. Um, would you say that's still, uh, the North star? For um, you I think so. Accuracy was the early North star because we knew that based on the way you get accuracy, it was going to be hard. Like it was 18 months of like cold, metal coding like it was like because we had to basically take um and you and i've talked about this a little bit we had to take in every event um in most of our our competitors they were quicker with um getting some of these numbers because they were using invoices um and like pulling from these billing systems the problem is is that invoices if there's a bunch of stuff that happened between zero and 30 days um you don't know about that until day 30 basically. And mm. so we, we thought, eh, like that's, if you're 5% off for a large company, that's, that's a lot of money that they're aggravated with yeah. you because they weren't able to plan properly or they reported their board incorrectly. So we focus on that, but I think, I mean, it's still a North star in the sense that we'll drop anything and everything. If there's like a bug or something that pops up in terms of accuracy, but, but maybe you've arrived control. at accuracy at this point. Yeah, we think it's under control. I mean, yeah. when we build a new integration, there's always like a, a six month period where we have to, we just know we're going to dedicate time because everyone, even if it's a very rigid billing system, they're all going to use it a little bit differently. And so there's edge mm -hmm. cases and things. Um, so we, with each new user, there might be some more bugs, but you know, even just building the QA scripts and things to weed this out was important. Um, but I think uh, now the North Star is, is becoming... It's shifting a bit. I think our, our revenue North Star is, you know, we want to make you more money as a company. And you do that either by taking on some of these things that you're not doing to help you make more money, like retain, um, or we point stuff out where you could be making more money. But I think we want to get with all of our products much closer to the actual making them more money. And so there's a bunch of different things that we've been thinking through along those those axes. Cool. Um, that makes perfect sense well i the hard part was uh getting the data now now that we have the yeah. data it's like how do we use that, it right which you that, know you know based on yeah. some accuracy is in some sense you said a north star originally which is uh accuracy differentiated levels of accuracy but that 
that's become table stakes for your company now in terms of we we expect that and so what's the what's the higher bar where are we going next and yeah it makes sense that you would shift it slightly and figure out how you can make companies more revenue um I wanted to say thank you so much for being on this episode. Um, this was really fun to dig through. I hope it didn't feel like a, a cross-examination too much. Um, oh, no. I could talk for hours, as you probably have, have ascertained here. <laughs> you're, you're, you're living this. Um, but yeah, I, and I, I hope listeners um, enjoyed it too. You are obviously on Twitter at Paticus, and I'm sure they can find you many, many other places like their inbox and LinkedIn. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you again for coming on. Anything else you wanted to uh, share with folks that are listening? Uh, no, I think the the other big thing we alluded to this very briefly is you know we're big into to educating evangelism, all that kind of fun stuff. And so, um, if you have a question in terms of subscription growth, uh, pricing, retention, uh, not so much on like the acquisition side. We don't publish as much on there, but we do have a lot of benchmarks and things like that. Um, feel free to email me at uh, patrick at profitable.com and then um, you know we we probably written something on it so we can at yeah. least uh, take your take your journey down a little bit in terms of time just by sending you what we already wrote and um, yeah we just want to be that source if you're not uh, if you're not uh, buying something from us it's totally fine as long as we're influencing uh, influencing you a bit or educating you a little bit because uh, it's all all that long game yeah for sure well thank you again and um yeah, we'll see you around. Cool, man. Appreciate it. Bye for now.